Welcome to Noon Edition. I'm Bob Zaltzberg, editor of the Herald Times, along with co-host Mary Catherine Carmichael. Many aging adults have no one who can assist them when they face health problems or other issues late in life. Monroe County announced last week the creation of a new guardianship program that will find volunteers who can advocate for seniors and incapacitated adults. This year or this week on Noon Edition, today we're going to be speaking with the two key people who have put this program together in the studio with us are Carrie Conway, the Executive Director of Area 10 Agency on Aging, and Chris Gall, the Monroe County Prosecuting Attorney. If you want to join the program, give us a call at 812-855-0811 in Bloomington or 1-877-285-9348 outside of the local calling area. You can also join the live chat at wfiu.org slash Noon Edition, and you can follow us on Twitter at Noon Edition. So uh, welcome to both of you. Thanks for being here. Thanks, Thanks for, for having us. us. All right, and Mary Catherine, welcome back. Mary Catherine was in the midst of Charleston, South Carolina but last week. But I swam week. back out. Right, during <laughs> I'm the, here. During the storm, so she missed our Asian carp show. <laughs> there might have been some jumping in uh, South Carolina. Appear, uh, yeah, well, there was, believe me. All right, well, we have a, a serious issue to talk about today with uh, this new guardianship program. It sounds like a great program. Um, Carrie, would you start out by just talking about when this when this idea came came about, and uh, you know how you got this thing started? Certainly, um, it's it's actually um, been a little less than a year um, since the idea for this program um, started. We Area Ten um, convened an Elder Justice Community Conversation Group at Ivy Tech um, just about a year ago. It was in October of 2014, late in the month. And um, we pulled together folks from, we pulled together elder law attorneys, some long-term care facilities, some home and community-based services providers. Um, Prosecutor Gall was there. Um, Judge Galvin was there. Um, really, a lot of the folks that, that serve this, and of course, Adult Protective Services was there, that serve this population. And we shared a lot of information about resources and services available um, for the spectrum of the older adult population. And one of the things that came out of that community conversation as we started our roundtable discussions was that this group, as a community, we really felt like we really needed to tackle this issue with some sort of concrete community-based program that would address the needs of what we perceived as the single most vulnerable population out there. And that would be this population, incapacitated adults, older adults who could were isolated and did not have family or community resources to help them um, deal with just day-to-day -day life. Mm -hmm. um, and very quickly, a group coalesced, met once and sometimes twice a month, and pulled together a very competitive grant application um, to apply for some funding that was available from the state, um, the Indiana State Supreme Court, and um, we're ready to go. We received that funding. We just got word in September, so um, we're um, we're hiring a director for the program, and we hope to be training our volunteers in November. Wow. Hey, just for folks who may not be familiar with Area 10, do you mm -hmm. want to talk just a little bit about what Area 10 does? Certainly. Area 10 Agency on Aging um, is one of 16 area agencies across Indiana, one of 600 across the country. We were created in response to the Older Americans Act back in the 60s, and um, we basically exist in order to meet the needs of older adults and those with physical disabilities in our community to help them live longer, stronger lives. And we're really focused on keeping people in their homes and in their community as long as possible. Mm -hmm. So Chris Gall, the Monroe County Prosecutor. Chris, you, so you were at this community conversation. Did you, um, did you, had you identified this problem going in or is this something that you went to the conversation and said, hey, I think we really need to work on this. Oh, no, we were well aware of this yeah. problem because uh, the prosecutor's office runs the Adult Protective Services Program. Uh, which investigates reports of endangered adults threatened with harm. Um, and, you know, we're constantly running up against this barrier of we just simply cannot find enough guardians to deal with uh, the need that is out there for low-income, uh, incapacitated adults. And this has been long recognized as a problem in Indiana. Several years ago, uh, there was a, a task force that the state created to study this issue, and they they 
did a report, and in that report, they, they discussed the fact that Indiana is one of only a handful of states that doesn't have some type of state-supported public system of providing adult guardianship services for the indigent, for people living in poverty, incapacitated adults. And instead, what we have in this state is this kind of patchwork quilt uh, where we, you know, it's loosely organized and we try to piece together resources from various different public agencies, private organizations, attorneys who volunteer their services pro bono. And, uh, you know, it, it just mm -hmm. hasn't kept pace mm -hmm. because we know that the elder population has been increasing this whole time and is projected to continue increasing for at least the next couple of decades. And so, you know, the demand for these services has just far outstripped uh, the available resources. And uh, I'm very grateful to Kerry Conway and, and the Elder Justice Summit for, for putting this on uh, the, the agenda locally uh, at the Elder Justice Summit. We knew that this grant program existed at the state level, uh, that the money was out there, uh, that this, you know, the, the Supreme Court actually took the recommendations of that report and created this, this grant program. Um, and so, you know, we knew that if we convened an advisory board and got people involved, that this is something that we could achieve. And so, as Carrie mentioned, we got uh, other organizations that deal with seniors and incapacitated adults, such as Centerstone, uh, Stone Belt, IU Health Bloomington Hospital. Uh, we put together this advisory committee. We applied for a grant from the Office of State Court Administration. And ultimately, we were successful. And we also got some other funding from the County Council's Sophia Travis Community Service Grant Program. We got in-kind support from the Perry Township Trustee. The Prosecutor's Office contributed a piece of the funding. And uh, we were able to finally get this up and off the ground and, and very recently uh, made our big announcement and hired uh, an executive director, uh, Bert Clemens, and Area 10 is now administering the program, and we're ready to start recruiting and training volunteers. So um, perhaps our listeners are familiar with the CASA uh, role, or not role, but uh, model, rather, which is uh, they have paid staff um, who supervise then their team of very well-trained volunteers who go out and um, represent children in the court system. Is, is this a similar model where there be paid staff that then supervises, you hope, um, trained volunteers to assist the elders? Yes, it is this exactly the same model. The training okay. is very similar, except you're dealing with, um, with adults rather than children, which uh -huh. means that um, they actually do have resources that need to be managed. Minors tend to not have that. Mm -hmm. um, but yes, it, it is a parallel program, very similar. So very volunteer-driven, very volunteer-dependent. What are your plans to recruit mm -hmm. volunteers? Because I know that's just such an ongoing challenge. Well, I, I don't really think that it's going to be as much of a challenge for us as we thought. We actually have been getting calls, and we are still taking applications. Um, if you go to the area10agency.org website, you can fill out an application um, to become a volunteer. Um, our hope is in the first year to have 10 trained volunteers. And um, What kind of skills are you looking for, Carrie? Um, we're looking, I mean, there are some, some bare minimum requirements. You have to be 21. You have to pass um, a criminal history check. Um, and then you have to be able to complete the training. And uh, the training will be extensive. Mm -hmm. And um, it'll be around, you know, a lot of legal issues, but also a lot of psychological boundary issues. And then a lot of training on how to interact with in incapacitated adults or older adults. Um, most of the people that I have talked to who are interested in volunteering already have some experience with this population. Although that's not required, it will certainly make it easier for us mm -hmm. in the first year. And, and hopefully those volunteers can become peer mentors to other uh -huh. volunteers who come along. Okay. Now, Chris, uh, I, want, I went to your website. I watched the video that you put together. You, you've started mentioning some other groups that were involved, and I was, I was struck when I was watching it that there were, I don't know, six or seven or eight different voices on that video talking about the importance of this program. So you, you mentioned Judge Galvin is one. I think Centerstone is one. So could you, again, talk about the, this sort of coalition of groups that's working on this? Right. Well, you know, CASA deals with children. This program, uh, the population that we're, that we're trying to address here are adults 
with some sort of incapacity such that they're incapable of managing their own affairs, financial affairs, or making healthcare decisions, things like that. So we're talking about folks with Alzheimer's disease or dementia, uh, you know, cognitive de- deficits associated with aging, which really kind of falls under the work that Area 10 does. Um, we're also talking about folks with dis- dis- developmental disabilities, and that's why we got Leslie Green from Stonebelt involved. Uh, folks with traumatic brain injury, folks with stroke or sudden health care crises. So that's where we you know, have the social worker from the hospital has been coming to our meetings and participating in the advisory board. And folks with serious mental health issues, and that's why we've, ha- we've been very fortunate to have participation from Centerstone. David Carrico has been coming to our advisory board meeting. So that's the population mm-hmm. that we're trying to address here. And we, you know, ever since we had the, the press conference, um, we have gotten some interest, people calling, and we're looking for people with a variety of skills and backgrounds, people who maybe, you know, have some, some business um, experience with, uh, you know, financial bookkeeping, things like that, people in, with a healthcare care background who can assist with, you know, making uh, health care decisions, things like that. And, and we, we did the video because we wanted to get the information out there and help people understand you know what we're talking about. What adult guardianship is. What's the process for creating it? What what's the le- What are the legal requirements? And you know what what kinds of situations can be addressed um, using this tool? And we hope to also uh, get the information out about what uh, what are the legal and ethical requirements for someone acting as a guardian. Uh, so that we can encourage people to do this right. Mm-hmm. And that's, you know, by providing this training uh, for volunteers and providing continuing oversight for these volunteers, uh, we hope to raise the bar and help people do do a better job with this sort of thing in the community. So if you want to join our program today and talk about this new, this, uh, new program that involves uh, guardianship for volunteers who are incapacitated and, and some seniors, uh, you can give us a call at 812-855-0811 in Bloomington or 1-877-285-9348 outside of the local calling area. You can also join the live chat at wfiu.org slash noon edition. And you can follow us on Twitter at noon edition. So we should maybe perhaps we should clarify a little bit. Um, there's There would not be an expectation of these folks to do in-home care, it's really, no. it's more of an advising right. and mm-hmm. an oversight. Mm-hmm. Uh, do you want to talk well, about Well, I think care? there are different levels of participation. And, and I, I like to look at our core volunteer as being somebody who is basically going to socially connect um, with that incapacitated adult, is going to sit in on their care planning meetings, is going to make the effort say at holiday times, to think of them and maybe make it a special occasion. Somebody who can socially connect with that person would be our core volunteer. And that parallels the CASA, these you know, program. These, these folks tend to become very, very socially isolated. Mm-hmm. And um, our core volunteer, um, I kind of think of it for an older adult anyway, a lot of times this is the last best friend mm-hmm. that this older adult will have. And somebody who can truly be an advocate um, for that person mm-hmm. um, in the court system, in the health care system. I was going to say, so coordinate health care, mm-hmm. coordinate right. in-home care, kind of mm-hmm. be that person who's, who right. makes those phone calls on behalf of... Well, and you know, generally speaking, this person probably would have a case manager who would do a lot of that hands-on stuff. But for instance, you know, choosing a home health care provider, that's something where a guardian can make a difference. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Typically, the guardian is not the caregiver, and there may right. be situations where they are the caregiver, but what we're talking about with this program, you know, the, the guardian is not providing the actual services. Right. The guardian is a decision maker, and, and the problem that we're trying to solve is, you know, we, we run into, through our Adult Protective Services program, these incapacitated adults who are living in poverty, they have no friends, no family who can step in and help out, and they're, they're vulnerable to mm-hmm. slipping through the cracks and, and being, you know, subject to problems like financial exploitation. Mm -hmm. medical neglect, physical and emotional abuse. There's just nobody to step in and protect them from being in in these situations. Mm -hmm. So the hope is that by, you know, when when APS conducts an investigation, identifies a situation like this, they can get the ball rolling in court by filing a guardianship petition. The judge can then appoint a guardian and 
the, the problem that we're running into is we simply can't find people to be to act as guardians in this community. But if we are able to provide a guardian through this volunteer program, that can help reduce those risks by you know protecting this vulnerable person, making decisions to manage their finances, making timely health care decisions, determining perhaps uh, you know appropriate living arrangements uh, by you know getting them if if need be for that type of intervention into a nursing home if mm-hmm. they simply can't take care of themselves, and mm-hmm. just generally providing the type of oversight that can help avoid these these sorts of problems. How are you currently identifying adults in need of these services? Well, that really falls under the Adult Protective Services Program that uh, in Indiana, uh, prosecutors are contracted with the state to provide that service. So we have investigators, APS investigators, uh, get calls, they get reports, they go out and do home visits, they investigate the situation, they document the facts, and if they determine that this is an endangered adult threatened with harm, as a result of abuse, neglect, or exploitation, which can include self-neglect, which is often what we see, the majority of the cases that we get are are self-neglect, then they have the option of doing a number of things, perhaps referring to services, calling Area 10, trying to get some in-home support so people can, you know, have the least restrictive means to allow them to um, continue living in-home. But it may require, you know, getting getting someone into a nursing home. I want to say something about what just what self-neglect is, since this is the majority of the cases that our APS program winds up investigating. They, they come across an adult who's incapable of managing their own self-care. So they're on their own, they have no one else, and they, they, can't, they simply can't take care of themselves, and there's no one else to help. And these situations, we know they're out there, and they often go unnoticed and unreported. But, you know, APS, if the APS gets a call and conducts an investigation, what they often find is an elderly person who's, you know, living basically in squalor, undernourished, uh, bed bugs, trash, personal filth piled up around, body sores, serious health issues. I mean, it can be really heartbreaking, uh, some of the situations that occur in this community. Uh, And there needs to be some type of an intervention, some type of services, some type of, you know, ongoing supervision in-home assistance, placement into a residential facility possibly, that's where we need to find a solution. APS tries to find a solution. They try to, you know, refer to services, often through Area 10, take legal action. You know, we can file a guardianship petition, uh, but, you know, again, the problem we keep running into is there are simply not enough people willing and able and trained to serve as guardians in this community for these situations of people living in in poverty who have no one else. What happens when you find someone like that? And I would these might be rare circumstances, but it's not that they're incapable, it's that they're disinterested. That's actually something we run across. Um, Mm -hmm. It's not as rare as I would like, Mm -hmm. to be perfectly honest with you. And um, I I could give you a couple of success stories. one in particular comes to mind. Um, the one thing that all seniors have in common is that they've all experienced loss. And, mm-hmm. you know, they've lost their, their grandparents, they've lost their parents, they've often lost their siblings or their spouse. Their friends have, they've lost or they've moved away. Um, you know, the minister at the church they used to go to got transferred. I mean, they lose the ability to drive, and so they don't see their friends at the restaurant. They don't have employment so that they're not, they get very socially isolated. And when that happens, you see a sort of situational depression often Mm -hmm. creep in. It's not a clinical depression. You can't just take a pill and make it go away. But I mean, we all know what kind of an impact solitary confinement has on prisoners. And that's almost what these people become is, is prisoners in their own mind, in their own home. And that in and of itself can lead to cognitive decline. Mm -hmm. Often, that reconnection process through whatever means necessary can bring that person out of that cognitive decline. And, you know, we have seen that happen before. Somebody that was a judged, an incapacitated adult actually graduating from that status, given the social supports and given the physical and healthcare supports mm-hmm. that they needed. So it is possible that through this program, we will actually have graduates. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Um, and I, to me, that would be the hugest success. 
successful. And I want to say also in response to your question, Bob, mm-hmm. that uh, you know I think you're asking about what about the tough cases. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, there, there are yeah. some questions. Right. There, there are cases mm-hmm. that maybe are more obvious mm-hmm. where it's clear that the person needs a guardian. Mm-hmm. But what about the cases where it's close call? Maybe the person doesn't want to mm-hmm. be placed in a guardianship. And so I think in answer to your question, that's why we have this formal legal process with a judge ultimately making the decision, because we're talking about, you know, an incapacitated person alleged to be incapacitated, incapable of making their own decisions. That's really, you know, a fundamental basic human right, the right to choose and make decisions for yourself. Um, That's why we have this formal legal process. Uh, that has to be followed when people are notified, have have an opportunity to appear in court, and the judge ultimately gets to make that decision. Mm-hmm. It, it's not up to it's not up to us. Right. Um, just we're going to take a break in a minute here, but I think this conversation probably rings really true with a lot of you know a lot of people who have dealt with a parent. Um, so a loved one, someone who has been in decline, and is, mm-hmm. it, you know, I think some of us uh, have all have always asked, "What if I wasn't here? You know, mm-hmm. what would have happened to mom? What would have happened mm-hmm. to dad if, if uh, you know, I or my brothers or whatever weren't here to, to help with this?" So, so you're talking about. I mean, what you're talking about in this case is, you know, the, you know in Casa, the word advocate is actually in. The word is as advocate. It's the court appointed special advocate. Yes, and now it's V A I S A, right? Mm -hmm. Yes. What's that stand for? The A is advocate. Advocate. Okay. Mm -hmm. So these these volunteer advocate for seniors or incapacitated adults. Okay. Mm -hmm. All right. Which is a mouthful. Yeah. That's right. All right. We're going to take a short break. Uh, Our guests today are Carrie Conway and Chris Gall, and we're talking about uh, the the program that Chris just mentioned, the volunteer advocates (laughs) for incapacitated. Seniors and incapacitated seniors, adults. Seniors and incapacitated adults. If you want to join us, 812-855-0811 in Bloomington or 1-877-285-9348 outside of the local area. You can also join the live chat at wfiu.org slash Noon Edition. And you can follow us on Twitter at Noon Edition. We'll be right back. This is Noon Edition on WFIU. Production support comes from Smithville Fiber, online at smithville.com, and IU School of Public Health Bloomington, online at publichealth.indiana.edu. WFIU News covers South Central Indiana and the state each day. You can read news throughout the day as it's posted on our website at wfiunews.org. And you can pick up a digest of all the top stories. It's like a newspaper delivered to your inbox each weekday afternoon. It's a free and easy way to stay on top of not only the headlines, but also the in-depth audio, video, and print news stories you can't get anywhere else. Subscribe right now at WFIUNews.org. Welcome back to Noon Edition. Uh, I'm Bob Zaltzberg from the Herald Times, along with co-host Mary Catherine Carmichael. And we are talking today about a new volunteer program that advocates for seniors and incapacitated adults. Kerry Conway, the executive director of the Area 10 Agency on Aging, is here in the studio with us, as is Chris Gall, the Monroe County prosecuting attorney. And we would love to have your comments and questions about this. 812-855-0811 in Bloomington or 1-877-285-9348 outside of the Bloomington area. And we know this is a statewide issue. It's not just a local Monroe County issue. So if you have questions out there, uh, Chris and Carrie will be happy to answer those as well. You can also join us on wfiu.org slash Noon Edition, and you can follow us on Twitter at Noon Edition. So I, I want to ask a question about, or at least bring up the topic of um, your involvement with Stone Belt, because I would think this program will be somewhat comforting to um, parents who have children with developmental disabilities and the parents may be growing into their 80s or even older and the children so-called children their mm-hmm. their kids may be in their 50s or 60s mm-hmm. and the parents have to be wondering what happens to them so this program would suit them i would assume Karen? it it definitely does suit them and it it's um it's a an opportunity for parents to transition care 
um, in a very, mm. um, you know, very comfortable um, and low-key way um, to another adult. And it's going to have to happen for, for most of these dependents and um, to do it in a way that honors uh, the parents' dreams, hopes, and aspirations for their child as well as their child's aspirations, mm -hmm. I think, is really critical. And this program, I think, will help ease that transition. Um, mm -hmm. It is a huge issue mm -hmm. in this county, um, all counties that we serve, frankly. Mm -hmm. Well, and again, you know, just educating people about the, the tool of using a good, the legal tool of a guardianship, mm -hmm. you know, we would encourage people to think ahead and plan ahead and, and hopefully they can use the information that we're putting out in our in our educational video and the fact sheet to, to think ahead and, and appoint a guardian in those situations so that they're prepared for the future. I think where this program really is going to help are with the folks that haven't done that. Mm -hmm. uh, and then, you know, Adult Protective Services gets a call and, and we're dealing with an emergency situation where there is no guardian in place. Um, and, and this has occurred several times where, we, you know, we're, we're constantly, again, running into this problem. Uh, you know, you can imagine the scenario of a man with developmental disabilities who's in his 40s, who's lived with his mom his whole life, and his mom is elderly and, and you know, dies. And then all of a sudden, you know, APS gets a call. What do we do? And APS goes out and investigates. They document the fact that, you know, there, there are, unfortunately, there's no provisions in place. There's no guardian that's been appointed. There's no place to put this person. And then APS uh, has to try and find some type of a solution. And sadly, uh, you know, those solutions are, are pretty limited in Indiana. Uh, we make a call, for instance, to the Bureau for Developmental Disability Services up in Indianapolis, which is a state agency that can arrange or that, that is supposed to arrange um, emergency placements in these situations. And, you know, again, the, this is a statewide issue. The, the issue that we've run into is there simply is not funding available for emergency placements. That person sometimes can get put onto a waiting list for months, possibly years, and the only solution that's available is, uh, you know, to take them to a homeless shelter, which is, of course, completely inadequate. And, you know, mm. homeless shelter is simply not equipped to deal with these, with these sorts of issues. And so that's something that I've been very engaged in at the state level, working with the Indiana Prosecuting Attorneys Council, uh, is trying to raise these issues in, in meetings with various, um, you know, state agencies like the, the uh, FSSA, Family Services, Social Services Administration, Division of Aging. And I was just up at the, just a, a couple weeks ago, uh, up at a legislative study committee testifying about the problems that we encounter in APS. And, you know, this emergency placements for uh, people with developmental disabilities is, is a big issue, and that's something I talked about. And, um, you know, the, just the funding for APS. This, you know, what we know is, is that the, the, the elder population is increasingly a higher percentage of the overall population. We're aging as a society, and this is projected to continue for at least the next couple of decades. Folks have referred to this as the silver tsunami, right? Mm -hmm. We're just aging as a society. And the, the, the sad fact is we're not capable of really dealing with the existing need mm -hmm. that is out there right now, let alone prepared for the future. We just and, don't have the infrastructure, do we? Well, you yeah. know, for instance, I mean, APS is, is overworked, understaffed, and underfunded. Um, and these, I can give you some, some numbers here that just really tell the story in a nutshell. In 2013, there were 40,000 reports to APS statewide in Indiana. And of those 40,000 reports, uh, calls for service, there were 10,000 cases opened for investigation by APS. Okay, that's for the entire state of Indiana. That covers 92 counties. That caseload was handled by only 27.5 investigators and 17 directors. Uh, so, you know, the fact of the matter is that there are simply just not enough staff to handle all of those calls in all of those cases currently and give them the full attention that they deserve. And so that's why we really need to, to look at um, the whole APS system in Indiana. I mean, the, the funding for APS has pretty much been relatively flat for at least the last 10 years and going back even further than that. Um, and so we really, you know, 
we need to deal with the existing need and also Mm -hmm. prepare for the future where this is just going to become a bigger and bigger issue. And what I find in in talking to state legislators is that there's a growing awareness that Mm -hmm. this is something we're going to have to deal with in the state of Indiana. And from the AAA perspective, there is no S. I mean, Adult Protective Services, they can't really provide any services. Those services are provided by the area agencies on aging, and we work really closely with Chris and his crew to make certain that people don't fall through the cracks. But it's, I mean, we're sequestered still with our federal funding. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, our funding isn't going up either. Mm -hmm. And um, in this region, in the Bloomington region, the elder population will increase by 74% between now and 2030, wow. 74%. That's remarkable. Um, and we are having difficulties with, in terms of our, our capacity to serve with the population as it now exists. Yeah, I just the, the amount of money that the that the state of Indiana spends on adult protective services for the whole state is about half of what Marion County spends on animal control. I mean, it's just mm-hmm. not enough. Yeah. Well, that's that's ridiculous. When you put it like that, that's just a, oh my goodness. You know, when I was growing up, and you guys, I don't know, Bob, you might remember this in your home county, um, there was a county home. Mm-hmm. Um, and those seem to have kind of gotten phased out over time. Um, is the are the people who are talking about this is this is everything on the table or are we just trying to do in-home care or put people in nursing homes or or you know how how out of the box is mm-hmm. is the discussion on this I think the discussion is getting um, pretty far out of the box these days um, Indiana is um, striving to maintain its position above Mississippi at 49th in the country for um, rebalance, I know we're in a race to the bottom, Um, (laughs) rebalancing um, the mix of home and community-based services versus skilled nursing facility services. And um, basically, we are the second worst in the country when it comes to responding um, to situations like this. You know, our our default is to put them in a skilled nursing facility. Right. And, you know, this is wrong at so many levels. The first reason being is that I have never in my entire life met anybody that when they grew up wanted to go to a nursing home, ever. It just isn't something you want to do when you're five, okay? Mm -hmm. The second reason is it is so much more expensive. Mm -hmm. It is so expensive to place somebody in a nursing home. It is much cheaper to serve people where they live Mm -hmm. now. Mm -hmm. Um, Having said that, there's there needs to be a broad range of options and indiana's division of aging is really focusing over the next couple of years on developing some of those options for helping to rebalance there's got to be a continuum between a person's home and a skilled nursing facility and we are looking at options for them Mm -hmm. yeah i'd say you know from my perspective generally we're looking for the least restrictive means to allow a person to continue living an independent life mm-hmm. with dignity to the greatest extent possible given their situations. And, you know, if that can be home in-home care uh, with, you know, finding some mechanisms to support that, some support services, that's great. However, there are people who do require some additional assistance and perhaps even placement into some type of a residential facility, a group home, a nursing home, things like that. Assisted living. Yeah. Now, do you ever run into a situation where you come across an individual clearly in need of services um, that, that actually has family? Um, but they, for whatever reason, haven't contacted their own family or their family's not aware of it. And, and are, you know, does the family ever step in? And Well, yeah, and that can be a complicated affair because uh, the family may not be interested in providing those services or, and you know, sadly, this is a situation that, that we deal with through APS, the family member is the problem. The family member is the one uh, responsible for the financial exploitation or abuse, and we've got to get this individual away from the family member, and that's Mm got to be the solution. And that requires appointing a guardian um, to deal with that situation. All right, our guests today are Chris Gall, the Monroe County Prosecuting Attorney, and Carrie Conway, Executive Director from the Area 10 Agency on Aging, and we are talking about the guardianship program that uh, was announced recently that that will find volunteers who can advocate for seniors and incapacitated adults, and we're also uh, willing and eager to talk about any other issues you might have that involves this whole issue of of elder care and trying to make sure that, that seniors are protected and safe and have a good chance to 
live their lives in dignity, as, as Chris Gall just said. If you want to join us, please give us a call, 812-855-0811 in Bloomington or 1-877-285-9348 outside of the Bloomington area. You can also join a live chat at wfiu.org slash Noon Edition, and you can follow us on Twitter at Noon Edition. Chris, you were outlining some statistics that are pretty stark about the funding for adult protective services and the lack of staff. And I I was just thinking uh, if you could sort of outline the structure of it. Your office oversees it here in Monroe County. Does that mean you have one person dedicated to it? There are only 27.5 adult protective services investigators in Indiana. It doesn't mean one is necessarily here. Right. The way it works in Indiana is uh, the, the state of Indiana, through the Family Social Services Administration, contracts with Indiana prosecutors to provide this service. So, and it's divided up into 18 different hubs. Each hub represents a, a region. So, for instance, uh, we're in uh, Adult Protective Services Unit 10, which covers Monroe, Morgan, and Owen County. And it's based in the prosecutor's office in Monroe County. So we're called the Hub County. We have the program housed here. But our investigators are responsible for three, th- for, uh, three counties. I have uh, one investigator and one director. And you know, thankfully, I've got great people. And my director doesn't have time for much directing because she's got to handle a full caseload. Um, so, and, and fortunately, I've got great people. Um, our director is Wendy Scott. She's a former Bloomington Police Department detective. Uh, I first met her when I, um, I, I got elected and, and, and did my first murder case in 2007. She was the lead detective. So I got to know her uh, pretty well during that, during that trial and um, was able to hire her and put her into the director's position. And sh- she really does a fantastic job. Her heart is in the right place. She's, she works extremely hard in these cases. But the fact is we've got two people covering three counties. They get calls and, you know, they, they go out and investigate these cases. They, they get in the car and they drive out to Owen County. They drive out to Morgan County and they visit these people in their homes and they assess the situation and see if this is something where APS needs to intervene, if this is a, an endangered adults. Um, there are there are units uh, that that you know simply they don't even do guardianship petitions because they don't have the the resources and the staff to do it. Mm-hmm. We're fortunate in Monroe County that that we do guardianship petitions. We will file them in appropriate situations when necessary. We have a different problem. We can't find enough guardians to meet that need. But uh, this is why we need to deal with the APS issue in Indiana is because you know there there are. That we really don't have a, a, an APS, a unified APS system. We have a lot of different, 18 different hub APS programs that all operate differently. Some of them will do guardianship petitions. Some of them will do home visits, and, but not all of them. And we really need to uh, you know, bring it up to a higher standard so that we make sure that we're, we're addressing this need that's out there with an aging population. Just to dig into the statistics a little bit more, because you mentioned 40,000 reports of endangered adults and 10,000 are fully investigated. Um, I'm just guessing, but you can correct me if I'm wrong, that the other 30,000 doesn't mean there's nothing there. It just means that they don't warrant a full investigation because there's not enough time. Well, what they're able to... Uh, based on the information that they get, determine that it doesn't meet the criteria, the statutory criteria for what is an endangered adult, which is a very specific criteria. Uh Or they're able to make a referral to services and deal with the issue by referring the person to Area 10, that it's it's not something appropriate for Adult Protective Services to handle. Um, And then they're able to close out that that case or that, that, that report without conducting a full investigation, opening it up for an investigation. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, it doesn't at all mean that there's nothing done. There, there is something done. Those, each of those phone calls is answered and dealt with. Okay. Gotcha. We have a phone call, so let's, uh, let's go to uh, Connie, who's here in Bloomington. Connie? Yes, thank you for the call, taking the call. Um, I'm a retired uh, home care nurse, and I'm so grateful that this program is being developed. I also wonder why our state legislators and our federal legislators can't see that it's much more cost-effective to try to keep people safe in their homes 
But the other thing that's very important about this program is it not only keeps people safe in their home, but it also helps to keep medical costs down because endangered adults are a significant group that go to the hospital because medicines weren't managed correctly or their home hasn't been safe, and they make return visits because their care is not managed. And I can only see that this would help reduce medical care costs. So that was just my thinking about uh, this program. I am very, very grateful for it. Thank you. All right, Connie. Um, Connie, you bring up a really, really good point, and that is we've talked a lot about this being the right thing to do, but frankly, as a taxpayer, it's also the smart thing to do because there's some definite cost savings involved in the kinds of interventions that we're talking about doing. Um, you know, there's definitely a, a huge health care cost um, with incapacitated adults showing up in the emergency room. Mm -hmm. It's huge. Mm -hmm. And anything that we can do to intervene to keep that from happening is going to save all of us um, a lot of money in the long run. So, Connie, you're absolutely right. And I'm hoping that you'll um, check out the Area 10 website and maybe you could help us with this program. We're always looking for good volunteers, and it sounds like you understand it. Okay, thank you. All right, thanks, Connie. Chris? Yeah, I, I also want to encourage people to go to the prosecutor's office website, which is www.monroeprosecutor.us. That's where you can see the video on adult guardianship that we made and download the uh, the companion fact sheet that summarizes a lot of information in that video. Um, we want to educate the public about, you know, what this tool of, of guardianship is what in what situations it's useful and we want to encourage people to uh, come forward and volunteer for this program you know we'll provide the training we'll provide the support we'll provide the oversight and the ongoing assistance but this is a chance for people with with skills to share to make a difference to share their talents and to help someone who's in need and you know again contact the new monroe county adult guardianship program by contacting Area 10, going to their website, you can fill out an online form there to volunteer for this new program. All right, we have another phone call, and it is our friend Leslie Green from Stonebelt. Leslie, go ahead. Hi there, I just wanted to call in and say um, that Stonebelt's really pleased to be a part of this program, and I thank Carrie and Chris for uh, getting it going so well. Uh, over here at Stonebelt, we do serve folks with developmental disabilities, and we do a lot of uh, evaluation of their capacity and uh, to make their own decisions and we're always working to help them increase their skills yet we find ourselves needing guardians for the individuals that we support because perhaps their families have passed away or their families are no longer involved in their program or in their lives mm -hmm. and uh, having these guardians would make a big difference in terms of helping them with making decisions and taking us out of sort of an awkward position of you know, knowing someone needs something but being reluctant to make choices for people. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It really kind of clarifies roles for people, too, in a, in a way. You know, people, someone might, you know, know that someone needs help but feel like, oh, gosh, it's not my place to step in. But mm -hmm. in a guardianship situation, it really is your place to step in. Yeah, and that's, we're, we're continually looking for guardians and good guardians that will get to know the individual and, and really help them with making choices as much as possible, but when they need to, making those choices. Yeah, so I, I have, I, I want to bring up, I guess, the idea, you just mentioned you know, you're looking for guardians and good guardians. You know, I, I could, I hate to look at the negative possibilities, but I could see a situation where someone might say, hey, this looks like a good opportunity for me to get in with somebody that has some money and maybe there's going to be something in it for me at the end. How do you guard against having people take advantage of a guardianship program? We're very, very uh, prescribed in our program in terms of the, <clears throat> the financial piece of this. Every single bank account that we manage will have at least three independent sets of eyes on it, plus the judge. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we were adamant about this in terms of setting it up. So we are looking for volunteers who don't necessarily feel like they can make the emotional commitment to connect with an individual, but might be interested in just balancing a checkbook for somebody once a month. So um, again, volunteers make the difference, and we are committed to making certain that this is financially um, 
totally transparent. Mm-hmm. Well, and you're right that that is an issue, and that's the reason why there's a formal process and a judge oversees this. If someone is appointed guardian, I mean, first of all, there there are requirements for who can be a guardian. It has to be someone suitable to the court who can come up with a, a guardianship plan, no felony convictions, things like that. But then, you know, the first thing they have to do is file an inventory with the court of all of the property, and then they have to file regular accountings and show the court that the the, the expenditures that they've made have been on behalf of the protected person for their benefit. And, you know, the ethical rules and the training that uh, that we're going to provide through this program uh, and the laws applicable to guardianship are very clear that, you know, you can't spend this money on yourself. Mm-hmm. And if you do, uh, then, you're, you know, you're, that's a problem. That's another side <laughs> of the prosecutor's trouble. office. Yeah. Right. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Leslie, so how much difference do you think this program, uh, you know, will make for you? I know you're excited about it. Well, I'd have to go get the list of people that we're (laughs) looking for guardians or who we've determined that we need that assistance with or that they need that assistance. Um, But it's been a continual issue for me as long as I've been working in this field, and that's been a while. And so I've really been excited that this is getting started in Monroe County. Mm -hmm. Uh, Very, very needed. Okay. Good. Well, thanks a lot for the call. We really appreciate it. Thank you. All right. We have about five minutes to go. If somebody wants to slide in a last call, 812-855-0811 in Bloomington, 1-877-285-9348 outside of the Bloomington area, wfiu.org slash Noon Edition. If you want to join the live chat and uh, at Noon Edition on Twitter. How will you know if this program has been a success or not? Well, we have some basic numbers, but I think to me, um, you I mean, in terms of number of people we intend to serve, number of volunteers that we intend to, but I think that when we're looking at impact on the community, that's really what I want to measure. And we're coming up with some parameters for that mm-hmm. in terms of both containing health care costs, leading to a better quality of life, those kinds of outcomes we're still defining. Um, and so it is going to have an impact. And like I say, my biggest hope is that we will actually have graduates from this program. And so, mm-hmm. yeah. Chris, how are you going to define success with this? Well, I think that's going to be very easy to define. If, we, if our APS program determines that we're dealing with an incapacitated person who's in need of protection from a guardian, and then we can find a guardian to serve that person, that's a success. And right now, that's the crisis that we're facing. Mm-hmm. We simply cannot find guardians mm-hmm. in those cases. Mm-hmm. So, do, you have a, oh, oh, do you have an advertising budget, or, or how are you going to seek people? Um, we do have a small marketing budget, um, very small. Um, but any help that we can get in terms of in-kind donations or cash donations to help with that would be greatly appreciated. I was, I was going to ask about the funding um, issue because this is not uh, a program that's going to have a beginning and an end. This is a program mm-hmm. like CASA. The, there's, the need is going to continue. You have a grant now. Uh, how do you see funding for this program sort of uh, living beyond the grant? I consider us in the pilot phase right now for the first three to five years because it is a new program. My sense is the legislature actually increased the budget for this program statewide last year, which in and of itself is kind of a miracle. Um, (laughs) So I I think that our grant funding for at least three years is pretty stable. Our in-kind that we need to provide through the community, I would like to have that become more stabilized. Right now, it's, it's you know, we're dependent upon donations from the community to mm-hmm. make this up. Um, and I would like a more stable funding source for that. My hope would be long term is that this program and the CASA program, which are so similar, once this program is launched and defined, could combine to become a Monroe County volunteer advocacy program mm-hmm. with funding from the county for that. That would be my dream. Okay. That's a nice long-term vision. Um, my read is that the, you know, the, the task force that looked at this issue made recommendations and the Supreme Court has made a real commitment and that funding level has, has only increased since this got started at the state level. So I see our, our state funding for this through this grant as a stable source of funding and then hopefully we can continue to build the local matching Mm-hmm. Uh, percentage. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, I see this program uh, being stable and increasing in the years to come. It's I here th- to stay. Don't you think a lot, of, a lot of times, too, experiences will help um, 
help guide what's going to happen. So the more legislators that are going through this with their own parents and their adults and people they know, it's just going to make them more aware of, of the need. So, Chris, just uh, in the last minute, talk, could you talk uh, more about what your hope is for the next legislative session when it comes to adult protective services? Well, yeah, we're, we're going to keep talking to them. It's myself and the prosecutors in Tippecanoe County and Allen County have really been leading the charge on this. Uh, that's Karen Richards uh, in Allen County. And we just recently testified to the state legislature. Um, you know, that's two Republicans and one, one Democrat from Bloomington. And, you know, this is a there's a Republican supermajority. I think, you know, the encouraging thing is that, that I hear that people really want to address this issue and that they realize that this is something we can't avoid. We can't continue to put this on the back burner. It's got to be dealt with now. And, you know, it's in, we'll see what happens in the next in the next budget year at the state level. Uh, my sense is, is that there is a momentum moving forward that recognizes we've got to increase our commitment to dealing with adult protective services in Indiana. How, how far ahead of the curve are we here in Monroe County? Are there other counties that have done similar things? Uh, there are other counties that have done similar mm -hmm. programs, but one of the wonderful things about Monroe County is that our adult protective service program, and I, Chris didn't say this, so I feel like I need to, we are um, worlds beyond what any other hub is doing, to tell you the truth. And also to say that Indiana is the only adult protective service program that lives in the prosecutor's offices. It usually lives in the social service room. Mm -hmm. And I think there's some advantage to having it in the prosecutor's <laughs> office. And, and Chris's office is a wonderful example of why that's an advantage. All right. We'll, we'll end with that compliment. And we're out of time. All right. <laughs> I want to thank our guests, Kerry Conway and Chris Gall, for producer Drew Dodlin, engineers Mike Pashkash, engineer Mike Pashkash, and Mary Catherine Carmichael. I'm Bob Salzberg. Thanks for listening. Noon Edition is a production of WFIU and the Herald Times. A podcast of this and other WFIU programs is available at WFIU.org. Production support comes from School of Public Health Bloomington. Public Health Reimagined, addressing 21st century health challenges with a multidisciplinary approach to disease prevention, health promotion, and enhancing quality of life. publichealth.indiana.edu. And Smithville Fiber, the Gigacity Company. Fiber Internet, HD, and digital IPTV in Southern Indiana. More information at smithville.com.